Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. Welcome to this episode of the Faith and Grief podcast and to my discussion with Dina Gockman, New York Times contributor and author of Sorry for Your Loss. Her book uh, details her experience with grief after the death of her mother and then just three years later, the death of her younger sister. The book is poignant, funny, real, and just a wonderful look at what grief can be and what we think it should be and what it really isn't. So welcome, Dina, to the podcast. I love the book. Thank um, you very much. I think it's poignant. I think it's real. I think it's funny. Uh it was such an easy read. I always appreciate that. In fact, uh, we're going to make it our mo- our May book uh, of the month oh. recommendation. Because um, I think you. it's a I think it would be a great read as we get into the season of Mother's Day, Father's Day. Um, this is always a, a you know I think for those of us who are grieving a really unusual time um, yeah. with this week Holy Week being like. Passover and Easter, and for some people, this is a big holiday in their family, these these holidays back-to-back. Um, and, you know, spring is this whole, like, uh, yay, it, everything's going to start anew, but we kind of all feel like we've been stuck for a while. I don't know about you, but um, it, it's filled up. But I, th- I think um, your story is going to speak to so many people. Um, Thank you. So uh, tell me, like, my first thing was uh, from the book, and we say this a lot in our work, is that grief doesn't discriminate. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter how together you think you've got it. Um, when grief shows up, it's, uh, you know, gobsmacks us all. Um, and we're sort of stuck with that. Um, but tell me a little bit, like, you talk about in the book kind of the lead up to your mom's death yeah. um, and kind of what that process was like. And then to have uh, your sister's death just a few years later, mm-hmm. that compound complex grief on top of it. Um, yeah. Where did, when did you decide I want to write a book about this? I guess is my first question. Well, I never thought I would write a book about grief. And when my, my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And I think it was like late April, early May, 2015. So for a long time, the whole time she was on, you know, going through chemo and and all of that, I didn't write much personal at all, um, which isn't like me. And I think it was because I just didn't know how to process what was happening. So I certainly didn't write about grief. 
the first thing I ever wrote about grief was about almost a year after she died. And I wrote about, um, she and I had this bond where we would always watch Hollywood, Hollywood red carpet <laughs> together. So I have that in the book. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> it was like our favorite thing. My mom was super, she was like a sweet Southern Joan Rivers, if you can imagine. Well, like and, her- and that's my first thought when you wrote that in the book is I was like, oh, we all miss Joan Rivers, don't we? I yeah, mean, yeah, 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 very much. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom was like the sweet Southern Belle version of that. And so her commentary, it was just like my favorite part of the year. So I wrote an essay about that bond and how I, I, I struggled with right after she died, I struggled with like, do I watch them alone? Like, is it going to be too sad? Is it, you know, am, am I honoring her by watching it? So that was the very first thing I wrote about grief, but I still didn't think of writing a book. Um, and then a little bit later, I wrote an essay about my dad starting to date again, which was also about grief. And it was kind of through those two essays when I saw these comments or emails and, and it just struck me that so many people want to share their stories, like just people all over the world and, and people who had somebody die years ago. And, and so that struck me, but it was, it was really, um, after my sister died and I just, I'd read a lot of grief books and there's incredible books out there and there will continue to be. But for one, my sister died of alcoholism. So I didn't, it was hard for me to find anything specifically about that. And then also about, like you said, like the compound loss of, you know, losing my mom and then my sister, like just about two years later. So I just started to think after my sister died, like, I think I may have something to add to the conversation about grief, like add to all those great books that are already on the shelf, just through, um, you know, the experiences I've had and, And I wanted there to be humor in it because, you know, I was already feeling so, as many people know, like you just feel so low that I just, I wanted a little bit of levity um, to kind of help me through. So I thought um, there's that famous Toni Morrison quote that's like, if there's a book you want to read and it's not out there, write it. And so I just had that thought of maybe, maybe I can actually write about this. So that's how it started. Yeah. Um, And I, I like how you walk into the book kind of with the introduction and then uh, sort of tell the stories of each death, mm-hmm. um, both separately, but also together. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of walking with your mom's death and then Jackie's death uh, thereafter, mm-hmm. what was, uh, we talk about this a lot, that you're both a novice and an expert in your grief. Yeah. Like you understand your grief, but each loss can feel very different. Yeah. Uh, you you talk about that in the book a lot, which I think is really helpful for people to understand, especially if they've had uh, multiple deaths in a row or, uh, you know, a tragedy happens and then other trauma f- follows, you know, it's there. Um, what, what, what were the different things that you felt uh, in both situations and what were similar? I think one thing that, and, you know, I talk about this in the book is when, Jackie died. The the overwhelming initial feeling was, I can't believe we're doing this again. Like mm-hmm. that was about my dad and my other sisters. Like we all had this feeling of like, we just went through all this. Like we, I mean, and it's such a hard thing to go through, you know, like planning a funeral and all that kind of stuff. And I just, so that was different, obviously, because with my mom, it was, um, I had lost grandparents, but it's, it just, to me, it just was different losing like, you know, my immediate family and my mom, my sister, So with my sister, that was one difference is that I just, part of my grief was, I cannot believe this is happening again. Like, I I don't know if I have it in me to do this again. Right, right. Um, 
definitely for my dad after losing, you know, the love of his life. And then a daughter, he, I remember him saying like, I don't know if I can do this. So that was definitely different. Um, I think that with our mom, you know, because she was, she went home for hospice and we got to just sit with her every day. This was pre COVID. Um, so we got plenty of time to say everything we needed to say. And then with my sister, it was sudden and, um, we didn't get that. So that was also different. But one, one thing, um, that I put in the book that I think is important because I think a lot of people feel guilty is there's, there can be like a numbness in grief. Um, and I felt this more with my sister. So with my mom, it was immediate. It was painful the whole bit with my sister, the immediate reaction was painful, but then I kind of went on a little bit of autopilot, which did not happen with my mom. And it, and it, and it scared me. Cause I was like, I loved my sister. Like, why am I feeling kind of okay? Like, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> like, yeah. so it, it kind of scared me. And you know, I, it feels like it's a numbness, but then it comes back. <laughs> so what I learned is the, the, the feelings will come back probably when you least expect it. But I think just not feeling guilty if you're like going about your life um, is important because I felt I had a lot of guilt wondering like what was wrong with me. Yeah. And I, th- I think most grievers are in that boat, especially in those, uh, what we consider early grief. Um, mm-hmm. Most people do have the experience of the numb sort of uh, out of body uh, mm-hmm. sort of floating in reality. As reality goes by, you had an image in the book about sitting there looking out the window uh, at the freeway and kind of going, look at all those people. Like, how are they doing that? You know, like, and I I think as we grieve, especially uh, shortly after someone dies, and even when we have those, and you call them uh, (laughs) G-I-E-A's, grief avalanches, we call them grief bursts in our work, but uh, we say that whatever word works for you, avalanche, tsunami, uh, explosion, like pick your favorite, pick your favorite word, I don't care. Um, But it's so shocking because you will feel some of those things over and over again. And I think that's what you uh, do a great job in the book describing is just when you think, okay, I kind of got this, something happens and, you know, brings those feelings back up. Uh, your sister was a huge David Bowie fan. I'm sure every time David Bowie uh, song comes on, that's the first thing you think of. You know, like those are the things that bring those on. So what was the most surprising about that with these avalanches? One was how intense they can be. I mean, I have never felt when my mom was in the hospital and then hospice. And then when she died, like, I've just never felt that powerful of an emotion. Like it just, you know, sometimes those cries, I mean, I would feel like I, this may kill me. <laughs> like, it was so intense. Like either I'm going to throw up or I'm going to die or both. I don't know. But, um, so that was very surprising is just the intensity of the emotion. And it does lessen, like, it's not always, but I was like, is it always going to be like this? But it, in my experience, like I'll still have a cry. I just watched the Oscars red carpet last month and I didn't expect to cry because I don't think I did the year before, but I've had a full on, you know, it just comes. And so I think that's, it's continues to be surprising to me that it can just come in a, in a moment. And, you know, I was watching the red carpet, so it, <laughs> you know, was totally unheard of, but, um, but now instead of the cry, being something that I'm a little bit fearful of, you know, it may last 30 seconds, like it did when I watched the red carpet and it's super intense for 30 seconds, but then I'm like, okay, I did it. Let's continue. You know? So I, 
you know, I think experts call it integrating grief in your life. And I think that's one way of not being afraid of those moments of emotion or even five years down the road or 10 years down the road, if they come like, that's okay. You know, it just means you love the person and, and just kind of welcoming it into your life. Um, instead of saying like, I don't want this anymore because, you know, I can do the 30 second cry and I feel, and it makes me feel like I love my mom. Of course I'm going to do that. Okay. Let's keep watching the red carpet. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think those uh, rituals that, or traditions that we've had with our loved ones, um, and we don't always have the ability to keep going with them because it may not necessarily uh, work, but I think they're helpful even when we do have to cry through them because there is that still connection between Mm -hmm. us and them through those fun things, whether it's the Oscars or um, other traditions that we've had whether it's holidays or something, I think it, it matters. Um, and what's interesting, and you may have experienced this too, is what's significant to you, like the Oscars with your mom, not everybody gets that, you know, but I did appreciate you did tell your husband, um, uh, like your normal texting, I'll be in, uh, in front of the television from one to 10 tonight. <laughs> I do it every year. Yeah. He's very sweet about it. Like yeah. he is not at all about any kind of Hollywood award show. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he knows that when I send that text, like it's the Oscars, he's like, okay, okay, this is your time. And he like, sometimes we'll try to fill in for my mom. Um, he did it this year too. Well, he'll, just, he'll sit down and try to make comments. Like she doesn't have a sleeve. And I'm like, you can go. It's, <laughs> you don't need to try or, you know, you don't know anything about fashion. So um, he does try and help, which is very sweet. But yes, I think rituals, whatever it means for each person, um, it, it does matter. Cause my sister's didn't have that bond with my mom. They had other things. So one of my sisters had like a gardening bond with my mom. So that's her way of feeling close to another sister. It was, they loved to cook together. And so whatever it is, I, I do think it's, you know, finding that tradition or ritual can, can be healing. Yeah. And it's something to, to keep the memories going and share their stories with yeah. your kids, with other family members, with friends, um, and it's always interesting to me, people will say, you know, someone shared a story with me and I didn't know that side of my loved one yeah. because that's not who they were to me, yeah. you know? And I, I think that's always just a precious gift that we're given um, because each of our relationships with one another is so different, even if we're in the same family. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Um, well, you talk, at, what I appreciate about the book too is how you've kind of broken it down not only in the stories between the two deaths, but also kind of different topics uh, revolving around the end of life, as well as um, uh, someone's grief journey and the emotions that they've dealt with. Um, you talk a lot about the hospice experience and what that yeah. was like. Um, and I appreciate that you've talked about that it doesn't look like the one in the movies. Like, yeah. I think most people, if they've watched um, Meryl Streep and Renee Zellweger's movie about her death, dying of cancer, um, uh, they have an idea of what that looks like. Um, and I think everyone expects the hospice staff to be sort of like these magical uh, angel people, though you had an angel that was, uh, some of them are, that are going to come in and, and make everything better. Uh, both for your loved one, but also for you as well. And we find out that that doesn't always happen that way. Um, what was the experience 
like, and you talk a lot about in the book, mm-hmm. kind of deciding between what we're, where are we going to, where's mom going to be? Because um, yeah. I think that there's a lot of guilt for a lot of people around that, like making the decision to have someone come home or stay in a facility, you know, and all that. How, how did that process go for you all? We were, um, so my mom had been sick for a very long time, but I think many people that have had somebody die of cancer know this, that you can sort of know it's going to come down the road at some point, but something can happen. Like for my mom, her colon tore. And so then it felt very sudden. Then it was like, oh, we have like days and weeks, not maybe a year or, you know, so we were kind of thrust into dealing with all of this, you know, without any preparation. Um, so I think we had asked her, but at that time she was not, I don't think she really was super coherent, but I think we just, my dad and sisters and I just figured we should bring her home. You know, like she loved antiques and she was a decorator. So it was just a beautiful environment for her. And we had been in the hospital with her for about a week and it's just, you know, I mean, no offense to hospital staff who are incredible, but hospitals aren't <laughs> the most peaceful, no. um, you know, the sleeping <laughs> and the gurneys and the, you know, and people are coming in to check on her constantly. And so we just, I think all decided together that we all, we just wanted to be at home with her. And so that was just a family decision that we made. And it, and it is tough because yes, I had no idea what to expect from hospice. I know when my grandparents were sick, I would go visit and I always remember a nurse being there. And I think maybe, maybe they had full-time care. I don't remember, but I kind of expected it to be like full-time care. So when the hospice orientation, when she said, Oh, they'll come by, you know, 10 minutes a day, I was like, wait, excuse me, (laughs) wait a minute. And then my sister and I were giving our mom the oral morphine, which I also didn't expect. So that was um, a rude awakening. It was incredibly difficult. And um, I think there is that guilt of like, you know, if you're a good loved one, you bring them home to die. And I think that's tough because I think about like my son's an only child. So I had my sisters to go through that with. And thank God, because I don't know how I could have done it without them. I think about my son, like, I don't want him to feel guilty. You know, I, you know, like that he has to bring me home or, you know, I know that's hopefully that's far into the future, but, you know, I think hospices, um, can be very shocking for a lot of people and it depends on your insurance. It depends on what kind yes. of care you can get, you know, and that I don't think it's the fault of the people who work uh-uh. in hospice. I think it's more of a systemic issue. Um, so yeah, it was, that was a very tough eight days for us. And I, and I knew that the only way I could write about it was to write about it with dark humor. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> otherwise, I don't know how I could process it or why anybody would read about it. So yeah. Well, that's why I said I love the book because you have a lot of dark humor and you and I have a lot in common. Um, I, I have a, a strange fascination around grief and death. It, it's not frightening to me, probably because mm-hmm. I'm in this work, but this yeah. is not the kind of work I did most of my career. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's so important, and especially like the the discussion of, you know, what do we go to hospice or not? Um, yeah. For some, that's a quick decision. And for others... It, you know, they just go with what the doctor says or what the professionals are telling you. And you kind of go, oh, but I think so many people have your experience where um, they get home and, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot of discussion about what hospice looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of loved ones don't know that they're what role they're going to play until mm-hmm. it's happening. Yeah. And that's a huge responsibility very quickly, um, which yeah you're glad to take on in Mm -hmm. many ways, but it's also scary, I think. 
Yes. Incredibly scary for sure. And it, it puts you in, it gives you a responsibility that it's a very scary responsibility to, you know, give someone you love morphine so they don't feel pain. I mean, that's usually something a nurse does. So I'm not a nurse neither. My sister faints if she hears the word blood, like we were not at all equipped for this, but we did it. Um, so, you know, I feel like that important, that chapter is important to me too, because I think there should be more discussion. I think, you know, more doctors should try and prepare. I know there's, you know, end of life care and, um, but it's just, I, I found it hard to, to broach any of that while my mom was still here. Cause I think we were all in denial. Like she's not going to die. Like, so one thing I learned from, from talking to experts and researching for the book is that it's actually better to have those discussions when someone's young and healthy and there's no issues because having them when someone's sick is really tough. It's really tough. It's really tough. Um, they're like super stoic and they're, you know, but um, I found that almost impossible. And so, you know, I think that's very good advice is like, you know, I sat my husband down and I was like, okay, while we're, you know, mm -hmm. young and healthy, let's talk about this stuff. Cause then there's not that all that emotion surrounding it. So things like that, you know, I learned in the process of writing the book and I hope, I hope it helps other people. Cause it's, it's such a tough um, experience. Yeah, I think it's a, a really important part of the book because uh, we, in the work that I've been doing for several years and the work we do here at Faith and Grief, um, we see the other side mm -hmm. and we know the struggles that folks are having to make these crazy decisions in the midst of your loved one dying or they have died. And we give people all this paperwork to have to go through at a time when our brains and hearts just... It, it's a lot to ask for anybody and even those prepared, it's still a lot, you know, yeah. but yeah, we, we advocate all the time. If you can sit down today and have this discussion before anybody's diagnosis, um, it'll, it, it won't make the grief better, but it will make that little process a little bit better. Yes. Um, Cause it's, it's uh, the practical side of grief is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, it's the last thing you want to deal with. I, I mean, who wants to call insurance companies and no. you know, yeah. and how and I I love the fact that you talk about this in the book too about our culture, our systems are not built for this. Mm -hmm. You know, insurance companies calling and saying, "So, how long do you think your mom will be in hospice?" Yeah, you know, like that's not something you need to have to decide or want to talk about. Um, but at the same time, it's something that we're having to deal with. And during the pandemic, I think so much of this has been brought to light because of the immense amount of loss we've experienced. Whether our loved one died because of COVID complications or just during this time, because it's been a really um, extraordinary time to be grieving. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just brought so many of these things kind of to the forefront, discussions about end of life yeah. and discussions about directives. I mean, most mm -hmm. people didn't know what a DNR was a few years ago, Yeah, but they're a lot more in tune with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wanted that to be part of the book too, because, you know, my mom died, it was before COVID. So we got to sit with her. We got to be with her. 
And so when throughout the pandemic, I would always think about like when you read all these stories about people saying goodbye on FaceTime, like it just broke my heart because as hard as hospice was, we were holding her hands. And I just, you know, I just felt horrible to put it mildly for so many people who couldn't do that. Um, and so I wanted that to be part of the book because I think coming through the pandemic, grief has become you know, if you haven't been touched by it, <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Um, so I think even if it's not in your immediate family, I think it's just reading all the stories and hearing all the news. Um, I think it kind of maybe has changed the conversation a little bit and made people more aware, I think, of what it is. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, which I feel like it's it's something that we've ignored for a really long time. Um, you know, grief is supposed to be so... It, what, I think, and I think you do a great job about this talking about in the book about what we think grief is supposed to be and what it really is and how we get weird messages from movies, culture, whatever, about what this process is supposed to be like. And then what it really is, is similar, but not completely the same. And I I think you do a great job of talking about that. Um, and Thank you. Uh, what did you, in your own experience, because to me it sounded like you had um, these two deaths happen and you were kind of balancing your both griefs at the same time. How did that sort of inspire or um, sort of direct you into the writing of this book? That's a good question. Um you know, one big reason I, I wanted to pay tribute to my sister. So that kind of helped me through, because I feel like as, with a lot of alcoholics and people who love them, like it's so misunderstood. So that was a kind of a big driving force for me to try and shed some light on, you know, I think some people may see an alcoholic and think like, well, you know, why can't they get it together? Or they have a choice or, you know, look what they're doing to their family. But when you live it, it's, it's a different story. And so that was very much a motivator for me as I, as I wrote the book. Um, and you know, I kind of felt like, so I have a chapter in there on signs and symbols and like seeing your loved ones. And I, and I really like, I have a picture of my sister right here. I I feel like my mom and and definitely my sister, Jackie were kind of writing it with me. Um, so I felt their presence very much through the writing of the book. And so in a strange way, like I felt very close to them as I was writing it, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. it, it helped me kind of through the process, which wasn't the easiest process. Yeah. Well, tell me about Jackie. Jackie um, was the sweetest. She was, so I am the oldest of four. Um, so Jackie was number three. I think we're six years, five or six years apart. Um, very sweet from a very young age. She was always, um, just loved animals. That was one of her kind of defining characteristics. It's like extremely empathetic, loved animals. When she was like about six years old, she just got obsessed with the gorillas and Jane Goodall. So she had me write a letter to Jane Goodall from Jackie. Like, how can I help? Like that was kind of who she was. Um, and you know, she just suffered for years. I think probably in junior high, maybe she started drinking. I'm not sure, but, um, cause we were a little bit oblivious at that point. But, you know, it just, it's such a like ravaging disease, I think. And um, when she wasn't drinking, she was that sweet, like empathetic, wonderful sister. And then when she was, it just, you know, it was a whole different 
story, but she was very artistic. She was, um, you know, just lovely and her friends adored her and, you know, when she had the best laugh, but it's just a very complex thing. Cause I didn't, I didn't understand until I was writing the book that like, even when she was alive, I was grieving her because when a relationship is, is changed so much, whether it's, you know, substance abuse or mental health or Alzheimer's or, you know, it's, it's a certain type of grief, um, when they're still alive. So I had that for many years, but she was, um, she was a doll. And I, I think, um, and I'm glad you write about that in the book, um, sort of the grieving before her yeah. death. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who who have a long-term uh, illness diagnosis, and especially when it comes to addiction, alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, the relationship can change so much. You are grieving and anticipati- anticipating yeah. what might happen. Yeah. That's very stressful. Yeah, it's a very stressful thing. And I loved how um, uh, the one person you talked about had gave you the um, words about uh, detached with love. Yes, and, that was very helpful. Yeah, because I, I, I encourage people, you know, if you're uh, loving someone who has this diagnosis, who has this disease, um, to seek out support whether mm-hmm. it's Al-Anon or other support that can help because loving someone with this disease as with any disease is hard. Yeah. And uh, we have put uh, our brain health and uh, chemical uh, diseases in a category of uh, individual fault as opposed to the fact that it really is a disease. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the detached with love was, you know, there was a time when, you know, my sister was getting worse and worse and I was just a complete mess over her. I just didn't understand why she'd flake on lunches. I didn't understand why she'd lie. I was just, a, I'd obsessively call her like, where is she? Where is she? I just was, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand. And I was just like angry and sad and all the, all the emotions. Um, and then I finally went to an Al-Anon meeting and it was just hearing them say detached with love was a total game changer for me because it, it gives you permission to say, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm, it doesn't mean I'm a bad sister or husband or sibling or whatever it is. And so that really helped me for many, many years. And, you know, it's not always easy to detach and it, it wasn't a magic formula, but it, right. it definitely allows you to say, I'm going to get off the phone right now and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Or I'm not going to pick up the phone and I'm not going to feel good. You know, whatever it is, um, it just allows you to, t- I think it's, you know, kind of a self-care, just take care of yourself because you can't save them really. I mean, you can love them. That's pretty much it. So to me, that was a huge help is just learning that little phrase. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's very helpful for those who are um, loving someone mm-hmm. in addiction. Cause it's just, um, it's heartbreaking on a daily basis yeah. and our hearts can only break so much. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And I know it helped my dad because, you know, for a parent, she's my sister, but you know, he's as parents, you know, it was very hard for them to not help her. Um, and so, but my dad had, you know, he told me, he said, I had to set boundaries. You know, he just, he had to do it too. And just say, I'm not going to talk to you in this condition. You can get help and then call me. And that's not easy for a parent. Um, mm-hmm that you just have to do it. It's, yeah. it's kind of the only way to survive it really. Yeah. 
And I, I think for people who are listening, sometimes that sounds harsh in some ways, um, but I think it's um, the only um, survivable way yeah. um, to live. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't care about them. Doesn't mean that you're not going to support them um, mm-hmm. as they go. Um, but it is, it's part of the process of that. Yes. And uh, speaking of your dad, you do such a wonderful job of um, telling not only um, your mom's story and Jackie's story, but sort of the story of your family's grief through this process. Um, You talk about your dad and your other siblings. Um, So not only, I think, were your mom and Jackie with you with this book, I feel like you had a whole team kind of helping, you know, taking the gifts you already have and being able to tell stories. Um, So you talk a lot about your dad and how he um, was grieving. Um, To me, that's a phenomenon that, that I run into a lot in, in the work that we do is individuals dealing with their own grief, but also with others in the family, other friends, uh, other folks around uh, dealing with their grief too. Yeah. What has it been like um, sort of walking this grief journey with your dad and your siblings as well? Well, it's been, I mean, we've always been a very, very close family. Um, the reason I, in the dedication of my book, I say my lion pride because we would literally all the sisters would like lay in the bed with my mom and like cuddle and like very close always. But somehow this brought us closer, my dad and sisters and I, and I think we've definitely leaned on each other. Um, and through the writing of the book, I mean, I would call them throughout the day, you know, and just say like, I'm crying. (laughs) And then we would talk about it. And especially my dad has been, um, I'm very proud of him because I know that he could have retreated. He could have gone inward. And then that would give us something else to be very distraught about if he just, you know, kind of stopped his life. But instead he immediately reached out to, you know, therapy and and grief groups. And um, I'm very proud of him for that. So thank goodness. But he has been amazing through the writing of the book. I mean, I would literally call him and he's, you know, he's still working and I would call him in the middle of a work day and say, Hey dad, can I ask you this? You know, can you tell me about this story? And he would, you know, always do it. So you know, we talk about everything, um, but they've definitely helped or, I, or there's maybe certain things like with hospice, I would call my sister, Amy and say, is this how you remember it? Like, this is what I remembered. And right. funny. Cause some of it, when they, when they read the book, cause I had them read it first, you know, they would say like, Oh, I remember that like a little bit differently, or I felt a little bit differently that day or, you know, so it's interesting, you know, seeing their perspectives, but they definitely have been a part of, of the book from the get go. Well, you can tell how close you are. Um, and I, I think, and hopefully, I mean, to me, it felt as I was reading this and so much of them intertwined in the stories um, that it's been sort of a balm for all of you, um, mm-hmm. something to help with healing. Um, yes. You know, we always say you can't be healed from grief, but there is mm-hmm. healing in the process. Yes. Um, uh, the edges get less sharp. Um, yeah. You know, That's a good word. Yeah, it's the edges are pretty sharp at the beginning. Um, um, but if you could have, um, that support system, whether Mm -hmm. it's professional or just family and friends, um, they can help with that. Um, it's very helpful. Like, I feel like, you know, my dad just, just yesterday said, you know, I was kind of down about Jackie today. Like we're very open about Mm -hmm. at a dream or whatever it is. And, um, so we can just tell each other that. And I feel like we're just this little unit that we get it you know, and, and it's okay. And, and it just helps us get through 
you know, having those moments, but, um, you know, I love, yeah, like what you said about it, it doesn't go away, but, um, you can, it can, it can bring meaning. Like I, f- I feel like finding connection with people has been very healing for me. Like whether it's the people I interviewed for the book or people I meet out in the world that, you know, start telling stories, like you just, there's that immediate bond with people. And I feel like that connection in itself has, has made grief, um, not so horrible. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, it, it, a little bit. Yeah. And you talk about that in the book and we hundred percent believe this because this is what our whole program is really based on that grief needs to be witnessed and talking mm-hmm. about talking to these experts and stuff. Uh, we've t- you talked to one of our mutual acquaintances, uh, Elizabeth Brady. Um, no way. Yeah. Um, we so had wonderful. her husband. Yeah. She, we had her husband Christian on the podcast um, early on um, to talk about his book, uh, beautiful and terrible things. Um, and their son, Mac. And, uh, I think they both do a lovely job of talking about their own grief, what their experience was, but also how they supported one another through this whole grief process. So it was fun to see them, um, highlighted in the book because I think they're great resources for people. And just I awesome learned people. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned a lot from her. Actually, I felt like she is very brave. And mm-hmm. one thing that um, I have this in the book, but one thing that very much helped me when I interviewed her is like, I, you know, so we were four sisters. And so our whole life, it was always like the four Gashman girls. Oh, my gosh, there's four. You know, it was a whole thing like, oh, your dad, <laughs> four dad, four girls. And so then when my sister died, you know, there's you always get that question of, you know, how many siblings do you have? And so. I would just completely clam up. I didn't know what to say. I'd be, I'd stutter. And I was like, Oh, you know, cause you, you don't want to be that person. that's like, well, I had three and one died. And then the conversation comes to like screeching halt at the middle yes. of the party. But then in grief, you have those, those moments when something just pops out of your mouth and you're like, maybe they don't want to hear that. But so I would really struggle with like, do I say I have two sisters and leave it at that? Do I say three, but one died. And so talking to Elizabeth, um, about how she talks about Mac, you know, when people say, which is a very common question for parents, how many kids do you have? She always says, I have two, my daughter, and then my son, Mac, who died. And I just felt like that was so brave. And it helped me understand like, okay, I say I have three sisters. And if I want to say in the moment one died, I can, and and I don't have to, but um, I thought she was lovely. She had, she has a lot of insight. And and I think that's um, using that language is really important. one thing I see in our work so many times, and uh, no fault to, of any of the folks that we work with, um, it's hard for people to say their loved one died. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're very comfortable saying they passed. We're very mm-hmm. comfortable saying they crossed over. We're very comfortable in using lots of other terms. And in our work, though we still use that language, we also encourage them to get comfortable using death, dead, and dying because yeah. that that's the truth. Yeah. Um, the other stuff is just nice. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but I appreciated your uh, the title of your book because uh, that, as much as it's appreciated, I think, for so many people, after mm-hmm. the 50th text, um, <laughs> it gets a little like, uh, I don't want to see that or hear that word ever again <laughs> or that phrase ever again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, that's why the reason I, that was one thing when I, the minute I thought I'm going to, I was maybe could write a grief book, like the title popped into my head and it was never, I never wavered. I was like, that is the title of the book because 
I really struggled, struggled with the phrase, so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Like when my mom died, I would, it just made me angry. People would write it on Facebook and I was like, ugh, it's, there's no emotion in it because it doesn't reflect how you feel. But then I've come to actually accept it. I mean, it's not like my favorite. I mean, yeah. like I said, somebody can say, uh, one person actually said to me, like when my sister died, like how tragic. And I was like, I appreciate that because it is. And I'm okay hearing that because it is tragic. You, you're not going to break me by saying that. Mm -mm. So I appreciate the how heartbreaking, but I, I understand that people are afraid to, you know, trigger emotions. And so I I've come to not hate. So sorry for your loss, because the very worst thing you can say is nothing, which actually happened with a friend in my life that just never said a word. And there's nothing more painful than that. So, so sorry for your loss is okay. <laughs> because I, you know, a lot of people don't, they're just scared and don't know what to say. Yeah. So yeah. I came to, if not love it, then at least not despise it. Yeah. We say we tolerate it. Um, you know, so it's like, if that's the best you can come up with, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah. And we talk about, cause I get, I talk to groups all the time about, you know, what do we say? How do we support someone? And I said, well, again, the worst thing to do is pretend like it didn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. and just ignore it because it's scary. And I said, you know, that has a lot more to do with you than the person experiencing the grief. Um, we avoid grief because it brings up our own stuff. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is just like Elizabeth, you got to be brave. You only have to be brave for like three seconds. It's not like it's <laughs> like really, like really super hard. Um, but more than anything, show up, you know, mm. you, you don't have to bake a thousand casseroles. And I do appreciate the fact that you have food in the book um, yeah. and food on the yeah. cover because um, food is a very important part of grief. Mm -hmm. um, but lend your time, lend your, you don't have to give advice. No one, there's nothing you can do to make them feel better. So just throw that out the window, you know, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, that was another thing Elizabeth said is like, there's not, you know, a card's not going to, although it's sweet. Yeah. But, you know, the things I, I appreciate are like every year still during the red carpet, I have a couple friends who will text me and they'll either say just thinking of you and it means everything. It's so sweet. They don't have to like take me on a trip. They don't have to, you know, right. but just one little gesture is like it makes me want to cry thinking about it. It's so lovely and like just a very simple thing you can do or they'll text me like, did you see her dress? And I'm like, I know why they're doing that. And and it's just the best. And, and that's all you have to do is, yeah, just just be there. Yeah. really. Yeah. And let people know you are. I mean, uh, the other one besides sorry for your loss is, um, uh, let me know if you can do, I can do anything for you. Yeah. And I said, well, you better have a plan yeah. if you're going to say that. Okay. <laughs> so make sure if you're going to say that, say, can I walk your dog? Or, you know, like, can I take, pick up the kids from school? Like make sure you've got a plan for what that second part is, because at that moment in grief, the person's like, what? I don't yeah, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if I like wash my, brush my teeth today. I yeah, don't know exactly. How. Like, yeah. you know, I've worn pajamas and run down the street. Yeah. So, you know, which I love that description in the book, by the way, I think that's, uh, oh my gosh. I, I think it, you know, I already see the movie. So, um, that's, that's good. <laughs> well, that scene would definitely be in there. Me yeah. running pajamas after a fight with my sister. Yes. Um, so, uh, yes, I also, I lived in Houston for 10 years, so I also appreciate the Houston Oaks, especially in certain parts of the city that, so you know, they're so pretty and the image of you guys walking and enjoying that and kind of finding some support out of those big old Oaks, I thought was a lovely image too. Um, yeah. yeah, people don't think of Houston as being pretty, but 
it is. And that, that's the that's the part that's pretty to me. It's just those beautiful like canopied oak oak trees. Yeah, it's just it's lovely. Uh, in North Texas, it's you know we have trees, but we don't have things. And you're in hill country, the pretty part of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty. I gotta admit. Yeah, yeah. But I love. I love. I was born in Fort Worth. I love it. Yeah. I mean, love it so. Yeah. And uh, my husband and I have done the Texas tour. We've been in uh, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and now here. So we've, um, so we've done, done all those things. But speaking of the food, um, you do include some recipes uh, in the back of the book, which I think is wonderful. Uh, we think grief food and comfort food are the same thing um, to the point that we have a recipe for grief cake. Um, you know, that we share on our website, uh, which is awesome because it's, we worked with a chef a couple of years ago and it's a chocolate cake. It's delicious, but it also has salted caramel on top. So it's kind of got that bittersweet thing going on. Um, but, uh, what made you want to put, but food in the book, add the recipes? Well, so there's a chapter that, um, it's about food and grief yeah. and, and talk, speaking of gestures that people make, one of the most amazing things um, was that during my mom's hospice week, I mean, like you said, like if people asked us, what can I bring? We would have been like, no, I'm not hungry. Like, I have no idea. So the best things when people just dropped it off, but our family friend, uh, Meredith, who, I mean, I hadn't seen in a very long time, but she just, she didn't tell us she was coming. We were, I remember sitting, you know, by my mom's hospice bed with my sister, just who knows what we were talking about. The doorbell rang and she just handed a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken to us. And she just said, you do not need to invite me in. I'm not coming in. Don't say anything. I just wanted to give you this and I love you. And she literally just almost ran off, like just left. And it was because I know she probably was like, they're going to invite me in and I'm not going to bother. So that was just an incredible moment in grief for me. And I knew it was going to be in the book because it's not like I, you know, eat KFC all the time or like, but my sister and I were, it was, we took that straight into the kitchen and we inhaled that Kentucky fried chicken. And it was, it actually felt like it breathed some life into us. Cause it was like salty and greasy and just her whole thing of, we didn't have to think, we didn't have to make a decision. She just handed it to us. And I think definitely in, I think most cultures, but definitely in the South, you know, people are like, here's a casserole. Here's a, you know, we got, um, gumbo which is in the is in the back of the book um my sister's sister-in-law made us this gumbo and it was so sweet because when i asked her for the recipe i realized how much love went into it like that was really amazing to me to see what she did for us and you don't have to make you can bring kfc you don't have to like labor over a <laughs> meal but it was very sweet so i think food is um it's very important because it it's like I say in the book, it's the opposite of grief, right? It's, it's joyous. It's amazing. It's delicious. It makes you feel alive. And so, um, it, that's why we bring it to people, right. To kind of sustain them during a time when they may just eat, you know, Ritz crackers or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think the KFC tie in is a good one um, yes. because uh, yeah, I, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to spend, I, I mean, making gumbo, unless you like know how to make a roux, it takes, yeah. it takes some love and energy. Um, so yeah, it's okay. You can just do the KFC and it's okay. Um, yeah. My sister actually texted me a couple days ago and she's like, she's like, you didn't put the okra in, <laughs> in Blair's gumbo recipe. And I was like, I don't think she gave me the okra, but, but people are a little bit um, picky about their gumbo. So I understand that. It's very specific. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like there's gumbo recipes, cornbread recipes. There's like specific ones that, you know, 
whatever you grew up with is kind of like that's the way it's supposed to be. But then there are varieties um, and we have to be be blasphemous to some people. Yeah, exactly. You have to be open to change, you know, so it's good. Well, Dana, this conversation has been delightful. Um, And yeah, I tell people all the time, they're like, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm recording a podcast about grief. And I go, oh, so you're talking about that, like when you, much like Elizabeth's sharing um, kind of the family status and stuff on an airplane, if you want to um, be occupied the whole time, just tell them that you just recently wrote a book about grief. Yeah. Otherwise, you could say something else because yeah, uh, when, I, when I share what I do, uh, folks really want to um, tell you their story. But I think that's important. And yes, that's, I agree. it's really important to hear other stories. And I think so many people are going to get so much out of your story. So thank you for thank writing you. the book. And thank you for I appreciate sharing uh, your gifts of writing. And yes, it is hilariously funny at times, um, but it also make you weep. And last but not least, I totally agree about the song Landslide. I think Stevie oh, Nicks, like, it's cruel. It's yeah. um, both hers and the Chicks version. Both yeah. of them, you hear either one, and it is, it's brutal. But It's hard awesome. cover, yeah. 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 Whether you have a relationship to the song or not, it's one you have to watch out for. Yeah. Now when it comes on, I'm like, oh gosh, what's going to happen to my emotion fears? I, I know, I know, but it's a good, it's a good crying song. So if, if anybody says, you know, you can just say, well, I'm just listening to Lion's Slide. They're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah they'll get it. Good. Well, um, uh, is the book out already? It is um, Tuesday, April 11th is the official okay. day, but it is available. You can order it. And I know pe- people are starting to get it now, so you can order it anywhere books are sold and It'll be on the way. Yeah. And you have a book tour here in the Texas area. I know you're going to be up here at Interabang. Um, yeah, I'm going to be at Interabang on May 4th. May 4th. Great. And so uh, probably book people in Austin. I'm book a... people on Tuesday. And then I'll be in San Antonio, Dallas, uh, Dallas and Houston. Awesome. Well, um, all we'll put links uh, to this episode and links to the book tour um, right. on our website and social media as well. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org give and offer a donation for our next episode and become a podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. We make this possible. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief podcast, go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode.